What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Preach Christ podcast. Yes, 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 I am your host, Norris Johnson. I'm so excited, man, because I know that this message is going to bless a lot of people and it's going to really get you out of some cultural norms that you've probably been in that you should not have been in. But last episode, y'all, we talked about this subject called Am I Clean or Are You Clean? And I, I got a crazy response from people. People were really blessed. People were really in a sense transform because we don't really talk about the difference between having a genuine struggle and living a lifestyle of sin, living a lifestyle of compromise. We don't really talk about it enough, but we talked about it last week. And so if you have not watched that, go ahead on this YouTube channel, on this podcast, go ahead and watch that, listen to that and let that settle in your spirit. And I think I'm going to dive deeper into it later on, but I kind of just gave like a surface level comparison between Peter and Judas and really showed you the difference, but the difference that Jesus himself saw in them. It's going to bless your socks off. Well, if you have not already, I want you to rate I want you to leave a review for this podcast uh, on this YouTube channel. I want you to subscribe. I want you to turn your notifications on. I want you to like the video, comment, do all that good stuff and just show your love, show your support um, and let it bless you, man. Let it sit in you. It's my hope to really give you Christ-like content every week that is relevant to you and that helps you to see the Bible and that helps you to see God in a way that you have not seen him before. I typically will explain a Bible story to you that you haven't, you know, that you probably haven't looked at in that type of light before. And that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to do today. I think today is going to bless you in a big way. The title of today's talk is called An Ugly Stretch. An Ugly Stretch. Um, and we're going to come from Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you in a second, but I want to preference this by saying that a lot of times in the Bible, when you read it, Jesus does a lot of things that goes against the norm. Uh, what was the norm back then with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious type of culture back then, Jesus does a lot of things that go against the norm. And in the story we're about to read today, I believe more than anything, Jesus is going to address uh, while he addresses a lot of other things. I think Jesus is going to address dysfunction. One of the things that I notice about this culture that we live in right now is that we want to normalize everything. Like if you go on Instagram right now, somebody on their story has literally reposted something that said, let's normalize such and such. And a lot of times what I'm noticing is that we want to normalize dysfunction. We want to normalize dysfunction. Have you ever heard somebody say, uh, this is just me. This is who I am. This is what I've always been. This is just me. And a lot of times people are saying that about dysfunctional behavior. And here's the truth. Dysfunctional behavior is not just you. It's not just you. It's not, it's not, it's not your normal habits or like it's not, it's not normal. It's not right. You shouldn't normalize dysfunction. And when we start to normalize dysfunction, when we start to normalize dysfunctional behavior, we live a life that is dysfunctional and we affect everybody else around us. And then we create a culture of dysfunction where everybody grows up this way or everybody in your family is like this. And nobody ever told y'all, hey, you don't have to be as jacked up as you are. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to normalize that type of dysfunction. 
And so as we go into today, we're going to see uh, how God deals with dysfunctional situations or or things that have become learned behavior and also how he changes and transforms us and what he does as we go into the life that we are supposed to live with him. This is good. And you want to stay in this video and keep watching this. Now check this out. Uh, Luke chapter six, verse six. I'm gonna read it to you. I gotta look down because I ain't got the special technology that everybody else got. I ain't got no teleprompter behind this camera. I just got a camera that I had bought from a friend for a discount. Bow, there it is. And so <laughs> I want you to look at this. Look at this scripture. Luke chapter six, verse six. We're gonna read um, about five verses real quick. Luke chapter six, verse six. It says this. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, talking about Jesus, and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered, whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. Or in other words, come and stand right here in the middle. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them or said to him, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. But they, the Pharisees, were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. First, I want you to understand something really quickly. On the Sabbath, um, in the law, and in you know the first five books of the Bible, when Moses describes the Sabbath, it's a day of rest. Uh, the Bible talks about how God made the world in seven days. Really, he made it in six. But on the seventh day, he rested. And so he calls that seventh day the, the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, or in the Old, or, or excuse me, in the law, we had to follow that. So on the Sabbath, you had to rest. There was no work. There was nothing else that you were supposed to do. You, you sat at home and you chilled all day and you just rested. You rested in God. You rested in, you know, just your faith or whatever. And so at this time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had created a bunch of just stupid laws around the law that God had made. They added their own tradition to the law that God had made. Stuff let me say it to you in a culturally relevant way. Stuff that wasn't in the Bible, they started to add to it. For an example, you go somewhere and they tell you when you walk in church, take your hat off. Now, the way they say it to you every day or every week that you go might make you feel like, dang, is that in the Bible that you should not wear a head covering as thou enterest into this ist ist, the church ist ist? You know, uh, 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 you know, it's just it's just little things we add on to the Bible to make it harder for people to live. For an example, you come to church, you got to wear a suit every day or uh, 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 you can't you can't, you know, watch Netflix on Sunday or or like or like just something crazy. They would add crazy little laws onto the law that God had, making it harder for people to follow after God. And so in their estimation of what the law of God was in their minds. They added to that law that Jesus shouldn't heal anybody on the Sabbath or that people shouldn't get healed on the Sabbath because that was considered work. 
Now you see how stupid that is, that people are adding things that are not there, that God never said. And let that just be the first lesson of today. Make sure you know your Bible for yourself. Make sure you know God for yourself so that you know when people are just saying something and when God actually has commanded something of us. There is no law against healing on the Sabbath. Why in the world would God make a law against doing the right thing on his day? So you got to just think about that. And so the Bible says, <clears throat> excuse me, on another Sabbath, Jesus had went into the synagogue and the synagogue at that time was like their form of church. And this is just another myth that people have because people think that Jesus was only outside and wasn't going into churches. So church isn't relevant. Almost every week, Jesus went to a synagogue or a church like that was his custom. He did both. He was outside and in the building. So there's nothing wrong with the church. So Jesus, as as it was his custom, went into the synagogue and was teaching in the synagogue. He did this all the time. This was his normal thing. Teaching in the synagogue. And as he was teaching in the synagogue, there was a man in the synagogue whose right hand, right hand was withered. His right hand was withered. And so Jesus, doing his normal routine, had the Pharisees and Sadducees around him in the synagogue because they hated him. They were jealous of him and they wanted him dead, but they couldn't find a reason. So they were always looking for a reason. And so they went into this synagogue that he was teaching because they knew that this man with the withered hand would be in the synagogue while Jesus was there. And they knew Jesus just being Jesus would heal this man. They knew he would heal this man. Now, let's look at this man's condition because the Bible, um, um, the Old Testament of the Bible is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And when you read this text in the Greek, um, that word for withered means a word called desiccate, desiccate or desiccate or desiccate. And what that means is to dry up like a leaf, to dry up like a leaf, to lose all moisture in. And so that man's hand had dried up like a leaf in in uh, autumn. It dried up like a leaf in autumn. So I, wa I want you to picture that, just a dried up, nasty hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a carnal explanation. You ready? If you've ever seen the movie Scary Movie 2, if you've ever seen the movie Scary Movie 2, and you remember the butler of the house that they went to, he had a nasty hand. And like that was his form of a withered hand. Please excuse me. Uh, it's just a cultural reference. You're okay. Uh, but this man's hand was dried up and like literally like the skin was discolored. Uh, the bones were showing. Like everything about it was disgusting. But it was desiccated. And to wither happens over time. When something withers, withers, it happens over time. Your tree does not just change colors overnight. The leaves don't just fall off overnight. It was a process to the withering. This means that this man normally went to the synagogue every Sunday. And when he went to the synagogue every Sunday, every week, his condition was getting worse. It was not always as bad as it was at that moment. It got worse over time. And nobody wanted to help this man or decided to pray for this man or tried to offer any 
any help to this man. They just uh, watched his situation get worse and worse and worse and worse. And isn't this like what happens in our churches a lot of times where people come in with dysfunctions, people come in with mess, people come in with issues, people come in really wanting to be healed, really wanting to be delivered, really wanting to be whole. But we have a group of people that are so concerned about traditions and stuff that's not even in the Bible that they don't reach out and try to help somebody whose condition is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. You started this way. You started out just lying and now your lying has turned into fraud. Now you're stealing IDs, grabbing social security numbers, different things like that. You started out with just kissing an individual. Now you're sleeping with everything moving. You didn't start out as bad as you are. You got that way over time. This man's hand was withered and had gotten so bad over time that it was now disgusting. It was so bad that it was noticeable to everybody else around. And so the Bible says that they watched Jesus just to see what he would do with this man whose hand was withered. Now, another thing you got to understand is, is um, how the Bible was written or how the gospels were written. For an example, um, Matthew who wrote the gospel of Matthew, because it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four gospels. Uh, Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector. And so you'll see his, his account of Jesus's life being more um, factual, being more numbers-based, being more um, detailed, in a sense. Um, when you look at Luke, Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. And so when Luke is describing miracles or healings that Jesus did, he's more specific than the other four. And so um, you see this story of the man with the withered hand in the book of Mark. Mark is John Mark, and he got his account from Peter. And so Peter is more explosive. Peter is more uh, right to the point. Peter is more about the miraculous, cutting right to the point. And so when John Mark describes this man with a withered hand, he just says that the man had a hand that was withered. But when Luke, the doctor, describes the man with the withered hand, Luke says the man's right hand was withered. Now, some of y'all is like, okay, what does that even mean? What is, what, is the, what is the point of even bringing that up? Because for Luke to say that the man's right hand was withered, he is insinuating that that was the man's dominant hand. I want y'all to really pay attention to what to 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 where I'm going, because you, you're trying to figure out now why why I even brought up dysfunctions in the first place. Luke is signifying that it was the man's right hand, and by and by saying that he's signifying that it had to be the man's dominant hand, and so you can imagine the man's dominant hand withering up to the point where now the man had to learn how to do life with his left hand. I had a friend one time when I was in uh, elementary school and he broke his right hand. It was the hand that he wrote with. It was the hand that he ate with, all those things. He broke his right hand, but he still had to do all the work for school. And so he had to learn how to write with his left hand. And him learning how to write with his left hand was a lot more sloppier, was a lot more jacked up, and it was not normal to him. But it became normal over time. And this is the condition that a lot of us have come in. For an example, this man with this withered right hand, he had to learn how to do everything with his left now. He had to learn how to write with his left. He had to learn how to, how to, how to, how to eat with his left, how to drink with his left, how to maneuver things with his left hand. And it was never meant for him to learn how to do life with his left hand. He was born to use his right hand dominantly.
He was born with that. But now he had to learn how to live dysfunctionally. How many things in your life did you learn to live with that you were never supposed to live with? You were never supposed to live life not trusting anybody. You were never supposed to live life wanting to stay isolated. That's not a functional behavior. But something happened in your life that made you live dysfunctionally, that made you learn how to live with things that you should have never learned how to live with. Why are you learning how to live with this anger inside of you? Why are you learning how to live not being happy, always being angry, learning how to live with, dis with depression that keeps popping up? There are things that you learned how to live with that God never intended for you to learn how to live with. This man with this right hand that's withered now has to do life in an awkward way. In an awkward way. Why is it that your family can't sit down and talk? Why did you learn to live with that? Why is it that you and your wife can never have conversations? So why is it that you normalize just, just beating around certain issues that should be addressed? Why did you learn how to live dysfunctionally? Your life was not meant to be like a car. Where if your window breaks down and you ain't got enough to fix it, you're just going to learn how to live with your window just staying up. Oh, that, oh, that door don't work. You got to get in through the back and crawl in through the front. Okay, how long are we going to live with this dysfunctional car? How long until we take this car to the shop and fix it so that it can work the way it's supposed to? How long until you go to the master, to the creator, to fix stuff in your life that's supposed to be working right, but that's not working right? Why does your love not work the way it should? Why does your trust not work the way it should? Why does your heart not work the way it should? How long until you go to the one that can actually fix it? Why did we learn to live with stuff that we should not have learned to live with? This is the man's condition. Jesus being in the synagogue and teaching is showing us that he will never be in a, pl never be in a place and not Deal with your dysfunction, not deal with the thing that's been troubling you, not deal with the thing that's coming after you. A lot of times we can go to church and then we can we can we can we can shout over it. We can scream over it. We can clap over it. We can sow and give money over it. But God doesn't care about all that stuff. If the core of you is still jacked up. If the core of you is still jacked up, y'all, this story is good. Let's get let's get some more into it. Let's get some more into it. So then, so then after 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 Jesus sees that this man with the withered hand is in there, he tells him, he says to the man, while everybody is watching Jesus to make sure that Jesus uh, doesn't heal this man, he says to the man, "Hey, get up, come here and stand in the middle. Get up, come here and stand in the middle." This shows me a couple of things. One of the things this shows me is that this man had to be sitting in the back. This man had to be sitting in the back. If this man is in the back, he's in the back because he does not want his condition to be looked at by everybody. That's embarrassing to him. That's embarrassing to him to have everybody looking at his condition. <clears throat> and so if he's in the back, he's in the back with his condition like that. But he's also, I believe, probably hiding his hand or has his hand in his shirt. Has put his hand in his shirt. It's kind of hiding his condition. So he's sitting in the back and he's dealing with some issues within and of himself that nobody else sees. And how many of us 
we hide our true condition when we go to church. We hide our true condition when we get around people that can probably help us. When we get around people that could probably do something for us, we hide the true condition that we have because we don't really want people to see that side of us because we really don't know if they can handle that side of us. Can you really handle how jacked up I really am? Can you really handle how messed up I really am? Can you really handle the thoughts that I really think, even in the church service? Can you really handle the way that I really feel about my parents? Can you really handle the way that I really feel about my wife? Can you really handle the way I really feel about my wife's sister? Or my husband's brother, the thoughts and the things that have been coming in my mind and that and that have been coming in my heart. Would you disown me if you knew how I really felt? Oh, this man is in the back. He ain't got time for people to judge him. He ain't got time for people to 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 say what they want to say. I just come to get my word and I come to go home. How many of us are like that? How many of us our dysfunctions have kept us from community? It's kept you from actually reaching out and talking to somebody and loving on somebody and having somebody really walk life with you. How many of us, our dysfunctions have kept us from things that God has wanted us to have? God wanted you to be surrounded by people that love you, but your dysfunction and how you feel about it has kept you away from them because you don't know if they're going to reject you for it or not. You don't know if they're going to push you to the side or not about that. This man is in the back. But Jesus doesn't heal him in the back. <laughs> Y'all, this is good. Jesus doesn't heal him in the back. Jesus makes him get up and come to the front. Ironically, him getting up and coming to the front is him getting up and coming closer to Jesus. And so Jesus tells, the, tells him, get up, Come here and stand in the middle. Get up, come here and stand in the middle. When God heals somebody, he is not focused on the things that everybody around them sees. If God heals you from perversion, lust, all those things, he's not dealing with the side of it that everybody sees. If God is going to heal you from lying He's not dealing with the side of it that everybody sees. If God is going to heal you from depression, he's not dealing with the thing that everybody sees. Typically, people don't start caring until they start seeing it affect you on the outward side. God wants to deal with things from inside out. The devil affects you from the outside in. He allows things to happen in your life with your parents, with uh, the way you were raised with things on the outside, and then it starts to affect how you are on the inside. But when God gets you, God heals you from the inside and then it goes out, which is why you can't really judge anybody's process because you don't know how far God has gone inside of them and what he's worked out on the inside of them. We don't see it until it's done. God deals with it at the core and we don't see it until it's done. You just see somebody that just stopped cheating on their wife or you just see somebody that just came out of homosexuality. You just see somebody that just came out of the dark stuff that they were in. But you don't know how long they were coming out. You don't know how long God was dealing with them. Why did I bring up all that? Because when Jesus has that man get up and come into the middle, he's dealing with things in that man that we cannot see. You see, because that man had a withered hand and because he had a condition that was literally outwardly disgusting, he had to be dealing with the form of shame. He had to be dealing with the form of rejection. 
He had to be dealing with the form of feeling like he's isolated. All of those are core issues. Your outward issue is not more important than the thing inside of you that led to the outward thing. And so when Jesus says, get up, Jesus is dealing with shame. When Jesus says, come here closer, Jesus is dealing with rejection. This man is getting healed from the inside out just by following the directions of Jesus and coming to him. This man probably thought that his main problem was his hand. But God said, no, your main problem is your heart. I want to deal with the shame that you feel, so stand up. I want to deal with the rejection that you feel, so come into the middle and come closer to me. God was healing him before he healed him. For a lot of you, God is healing you before he heals you. When God deals with that dysfunction in your life, he deals with the core, and then he goes to the outward side. He's healing you before he heals you. He's changing you before he's changing you. He's changing you before he changes you. You are being healed. This man is being healed and he's being brought to the outside. He's, excuse me, he's being brought to the inside. And God is healing him as he's coming. And the unique thing about this is as the man stands up and as he's walking, you notice he's not looking at his hand anymore. Because to get to Jesus, he has to look at him. For a lot of us, we don't understand. You're not going to get any closer to Jesus looking at them. Looking at what they said. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Look at, looking at what they think. Looking at how they feel. Looking at where they think you're at. Looking at what they think they know about you. Looking at what your mama said. Looking at what your daddy said. Looking at, looking at this, looking at that. In order to get to Jesus, he has to look at him. Oh, he's surrounded by people because the synagogue is packed out. Jesus is there. But Jesus is only talking to him. And now he's only looking at Jesus in a room full of people. And as he's looking at him, he's getting closer. But notice as he's looking at him, he's no longer looking at his condition. How do I get healed? How do I get free? How do I get out of this depression? How do I get out of this dark place that I'm in? How do I walk into the place that God has for me? How do I do this? Look at him. Set your heart on him. Set your mind on him. When you wake up in the morning, don't let the first thing you go to be Instagram. Don't let the first thing you go to be the emails from your job that you missed last night. Don't let it be the phone calls that you might have missed. Don't let it be the TV show that you watch. Don't let it be anything like that. When you wake up in the morning, let your eyesight be set on him immediately. Why? Because he has to heal you. From the inside out, you have to get closer to him. And as you're getting closer to him, you can't be looking at anything else. This man is looking at Jesus and he's no longer looking at his hand, which he spent most of his life focused on. I come to the synagogue every week. None of you cared about my hand. Even now, you don't care about my hand. You only care about tripping Jesus up in his words. Don't you see that I'm hurting? Don't you see that I'm messed up? Some of you come to church every week and it seems that people are only concerned about what you're wearing. They're only concerned about what you posted the other day. Don't you see I'm depressed? Don't you see I don't want to live no more? Don't you see that my family is in shambles, that my, that my wife 
don't even sleep in the same bed as me anymore. Don't you see that this stuff is going on? Don't you see that my child is now dabbling in other things and they don't even know who they are? Now my child is telling me that they think that they're another gender. Don't you see these things? Can't you deal with my heart before you deal with my leaves? Can't you deal with the root before you deal with my leaves? Because if my roots not change, my leaves are going to come back looking the same exact way. Jesus is healing him before he heals him. Come to the middle. Come closer to me. And a lot of times, the middle or getting closer to Jesus puts you in everybody's view. Jesus is standing in the middle of a packed synagogue. Everybody is in a circular motion staring at Jesus. Jesus invited this man with his nasty condition to come stand in the middle with him. So now everybody's not just looking at Jesus. Everybody's looking at this man as well. And now the hand that he's tried to hide in his coat is on full display for everybody to see. What we don't tell you is a lot of times coming to Jesus puts you on front street with everybody else. When you decide to be a Christian, the world will watch you. They want to see, is this thing real? Or is this person going to go right back to what they said? Is, is Shirley really changed? Or is she going to be right back at the club with us the next day drinking and partying or doing whatever? Yeah, she says she's going to church. Yeah, she says she's changing. Yeah, she says she's giving her life to God. But, you know, let's, let's watch her and let's see if she's really going to be different this time. Oh, getting healed will put you in the middle with Jesus. Getting healed will put, your, will put your mess on front street. But what keeps you when you're standing in the middle with Jesus? What keeps you is your focus on Jesus. Your focus on him. Are you looking at him or are you looking at them? Are you looking at him or are you looking at them? And the Bible says when he gets to the middle with that messed up hand, God tells him, now stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Now you're in the middle with me. I want you to show it. The reason why I say that he was hiding his hand is because Jesus had to tell him to stretch it out. Which means that he was trying to cover it up. And Jesus said, no, don't, don't cover it up for them. I don't care how they're looking at you. Don't cover it up for them. Don't be ashamed of how they're going to look at you for the freedom that you're supposed to get. You ain't got time to worry about what people think when your mind needs to be set free, when your heart needs to be set free, when your soul is in pain and agony, you don't have time to worry about them. Bump them. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. And it's going to be ugly when you stretch it. It's going to look nasty when you stretch it. But I, but I guarantee you this as Jesus, that when you stretch it, it will already be transforming. It's going to be an ugly stretch, but when you stretch it, it will already be changing. The Bible says he stretched out his hand. And as he stretched out his hand, it was restored just like the other one. Stretch out his hand. God is calling for a lot of you to stretch. Now, what is stretching? Stretching is when you reach your limit and then go beyond it. I took the camera off focus. When you reach your limit 
and then go beyond it. That's when you've stretched. You don't stretch when you just stick out your hand. You stretch when you stick out your hand and it feels like you can't go any further and then you push it to go further. That's a stretch. God is telling you, I want you to reach your limit. Do all that you possibly think you can do. And then I'm going to help you to go beyond it. You're going to reach your limit and then I'm going to help you go beyond it. Where you think you can't go, I'm going to take you there. What you think you can't do, I'm going to take you there. God, I don't think I could ever forgive my dad for what he did. I want you to stretch then. God, I don't think I could ever do what you call me to do. I want you to stretch then. Now, what does stretching look like? Stretching looks like praying stronger and more fervently than you do right now. When God has called you to stretch, that same five-minute prayer life that you have for every day ain't going to work. That same word life that you got ain't going to work. No, you've got to go to your limit and then go beyond it. And then that's got to be radical obedience. When I wake up in the morning, my mind is on him. When I go to sleep at night, my mind is on him. It's not work. It's stretching. It's not you just doing something. It's stretching. It's me reaching my limit and going beyond it. He's called me. He's equipped me. He's given me the strength to do what I did not think I could do. You can stretch. You can pray. You can seek his face. You can come after him. It's going to take a stretch. It's going to take a stretch. It's not going to be as easy as you thought it was going to be. It's not going to be as normal or, 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 as, or, as, or as easy as you thought it was going to be. God is going to call for you to do some stuff that's going to make you uncomfortable. If you have been dysfunctional all your life, if you've been doing your own thing, all your life. Why do you think it's going to change overnight? No, God will accelerate the process, but you still got to do something. You still got to go forward and be what God has called you to be. He told this man, I want you to stretch it out. I want you to stretch it out. And I know it's ugly and I know, and I know it's making you nervous, but I want you to expose it. And as you're exposing it, I'm healing it. I'm transforming it. This is what God has called for many of us to do. Now, the people were upset. They wanted to persecute Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to do all these different things because Jesus was doing something that literally went against their norm because it's not normal for people to actually expose their problem. It's not normal for people to do that. In 2016, when I gave my life to God for real and stopped playing this little game of back and forth like I used to, I stood up in front of the church and told them while I'm, pre you know, you know, while while I'm in ministry, while I've been preaching for all these years, I was drinking, smoking, uh, sleeping with whoever I wanted to sleep with. All all these different things. I exposed it into the people. And as I was exposing it and saying it and letting them know I'm not well, letting them know I'm jacked up, letting them know I'm hurt, I'm messed up, letting them know everything about me while I'm talking it. God is stripping weights off of me. God is healing me. God is restoring me. God is making me like new. God is doing these things. Why? Because I was not afraid to stretch in front of a people that don't determine my healing, in front of people that don't determine what God has called me to be. They have no bearing on what God said about you. Do you know that? People have no bearing. Your mama, who you came out of the womb of, has no say-so in the plan of God for your life. She was just a conduit to get you here. She has no say-so. They have no say-so in what God is going to do for you. They were just the means to get you here. God said, I got it from here. Thank you. Bye. Mm -mm. Your words don't affect their destiny. 
Your plans don't affect their destiny. I know you want Jerome to grow up and be a lawyer, but I got other plans for him. And your plan don't trump my plan. Their plans don't trump God's plans for you. So you should probably stop caring about what they think about the thing that God is trying to heal you from. Stretch it out and expose it. And don't normalize it. Don't normalize dysfunction. We're not going to normalize that. We're going to normalize what God is trying to do in us now. Oh, the change and the transformation that comes from when we really give our lives to God. I want you to know that God's best for you is right in front of you. It's going to call for you to stand up and come to the middle with him, to set your eyes on him, to focus on him, to give your focus to him. He promises you that you will find him when you really seek him with your whole heart. Half-seeking will not get you a whole God. God wants you to seek him with everything you got. Don't allow the enemy to block you from being what God has called you to be. Give him your all and watch him change and transform everything. I love y'all and I thank y'all so much for watching and rocking with me. And I pray that something was said today that blesses you and that transforms your life and that lets you know that you will not stay the same when you give God your all. That no matter how dysfunctional your life has been, God will and can transform you. It's just time to make an ugly stretch. I love y'all, man, and I thank y'all so much for rocking with me. This has been episode, I believe, five of the Preach Christ podcast. And what I want you to do, if you're on YouTube, subscribe, make turn your notifications on, like the video, comment, get us out into the app, algorithm share let people know that this message blessed you and that these are coming every week to bless you and to transform you if you're listening by my podcast i want you to rate leave a review subscribe and share it and let people know it's time to make that ugly stretch i'll see y'all next time every week we rock it and we move it until next time